0: Good morning, brothers and sisters. Another great Lord's Day where we can come together and go through the word of God together. Although we are up here and we are expositing the word of God because uh, we went through the week and we studied it. As a family, we're coming together and we're reading the word of God And we're here to read and see what the Lord is telling us, because this is the way that the Lord speaks to us. He does not speak to us through visions anymore. He does not speak through uh, writing on the clouds. There's a form of revelation that was written down. And we know that it is truth. We know that it is infallible. It cannot err. Why? Because it's from God. It is God's words. So we need to take these words seriously. This is how we know what God is speaking. As we say in the the Christian life, we breathe in Scripture, which is God-breathed, and we breathe out prayer to our Lord. Now we're reaching the halfway point of Romans. This is actually sermon... 39, 36 or 39, something like that. So we still have eight chapters to go. We're going to hit the 70s, possibly maybe even the 80s. But we're seeing here that we're going little by little, seeing what the Lord is telling us. Are we applying this to our lives? Is this just poetry that's beautiful and nice Or are we reading the scriptures and now we're saying, I believe that. I know this is truth. And today we're going to hit a truth that everybody needs to know here. Everybody needs to believe. Because this is what gets us through this fallen world. Knowing that we are no longer condemned. So we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. We're going to read, but we're going to start two verses before that. Romans chapter 7, verses 24 through chapter 8, verses 4. So if you would rise, for we could read the word of the Lord together. And this is, uh, again, chapter 7, verse 24 to chapter 8, verse 4. So we can get some context into, into what Paul is speaking about in this section. So let's begin. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Let's pray. Lord, as we read your scriptures, as you speak to us and you tell us that we are no longer condemned, we glorify your name. We exalt you because you have done it all. Like that great song, that great hymn, Jesus paid it all. May you be glorified as we go and we exposit through your scriptures as we learn what Paul is trying to tell us who is inspired by the Holy Spirit. For this is an infallible and inerrant truth and we must apply it to our lives. Let the Holy Spirit motivate us and bring us to completion in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So, as we see here, beginning with Romans 1 through 3, what we're seeing is that man, humanity, mankind, humankind, any word you want to use there, we are fallen creatures. We are totally depraved. Every factor and part of our body, mind, and soul has been depraved. Completely an enemy of God. We cannot do it on our own. So that's why we are justified by faith. As Romans 4 and 5 speak about. And really all of Romans. And as we got to Romans 6 and 7. What we're seeing is the battle that we are going to have with sin. For the rest of our mortal life here on earth how it's a war zone but how we will sin no more in unrepentant sin because now we live for Christ and as Romans 7:24 says wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body this physical body as we spoke about in the Sunday school this body of death Thanks be to God. And so just to get a context of what we're going to speak, be speaking about when it comes to the condemnation. Listen to this quote from Fred Malone. It's actually an article on Founders Ministries from the man in Romans 7, as he was speaking about Romans 7. It says, This man is not convicted under the weight of his sins condemnation. He is groaning as a regenerate man convicted under the weight of his remaining condition of sin, he cries out to Jesus Christ for help because he wants to be free from the condition of indwelling sin. Is that our attitude? Do we cry, wretched man or woman that we are? Do we cry out and say, I hate my sin? I want to obey you, Lord. Do we ask Jesus Christ for help as Paul is here showing? We must remember that. And as we're seeing that we are going to struggle with sin in one aspect, right? And what I mean by struggling with sin is we're always going to have sin with us because we are not glorified. We are that wretched man. What is the good news? Verse 1 of chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not for the entire world that doesn't know Jesus. Not for the enemies of God. For those who are in Christ Jesus. Exclusive. Now, that doesn't mean that we weren't enemies at one point in our lives. And God brought us to that. But at that time, in a sense, we were condemned for eternal death. And if it wasn't for the work of Jesus Christ, we would be condemned. And what does condemnation mean? What, is, what, what does that even mean? Galatians 3.10 for as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to do them. So when you are condemned, you are cursed to die an eternal death, a spiritual death, away from God, as God being the judge. And the punisher. Not just throws you somewhere and that's it. He is punishing the sin. Just like when we punish uh, criminals, just like when we punish our children or even ourselves when we do something wrong, the sin must be punished. So when those that are condemned are being punished for their sin, some might ask, well, why would it be eternal? Why would it be eternal punishment? Because we believe here in conscious, eternal punishment. And that's because they are not regenerate. They are not saved. They have not stopped sinning. Do you think that when God is punishing them, they're not sinning still? You think they're not mad at God? I'm almost speaking like it's happening right now, right? That's going to happen in the future. But you don't think they're going to be mad? You don't think they're going to be grinding their teeth? They're going to be obstinate to the Lord? Sin is going to still continue on in there. In that part, that sin has to still be dealt with. That's why when we are glorified, sin will not be any more with us. Or else, would that mean that all that sin that we would continue doing for eternity, who, who pays for that? Because when we speak of Jesus paying for our sin, it's for the sins that we've done here because we will sin no more. Once we are glorified. That is the condemnation. That's a sad condemnation. When we're here on earth. And we're still sinning. If we're regenerate people. What are we saying? Man. I can't believe I did that again. Or I can't believe that. I have that desire. Or I have that addiction. Or I have whatever it might be. Those people. Who are condemned. Who will be. In conscious eternal punishment. Will be extremely mad sad depressed probably all the emotions you could think of all in one shot it's gonna be horrible and I don't want to be there I don't want any of you to be there I don't want any of my family to be there I don't make that decision but what are we called to do preach the gospel we don't want our family there we don't want our kids there bring them up in the ways of the Lord and what we're seeing is when it says Therefore, now no condemnation. What is the opposite of condemnation? Which is really a legal declaration that says you are guilty. The opposite is justification. For we are not guilty anymore. Jesus has paid that price. And when we're not condemned, what it really means is that we are not only free from the guilt of sin, but also from its enslaving power. Are we still in bondage to sin? Is sin our master, our Lord? God forbid, no. We live for Christ. And it also shows you here, and then we'll see later on, but we saw a lot in Romans six and seven, That justification, in other words, no condemnation and sanctification always go together. You are being sanctified to the image, to be conformed to the image of Christ. So that implies both a pardon and a purification. So now, as we go forth, verse 2 says, For the law of the spirit of life. ...has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. What is the law of the spirit of life? The law of the spirit of life is forceful and effective working of the Holy Spirit that you live by. That's in the hearts and the lives of God's children. It is the opposite, as you see here in the verse... Of the law of sin and death. So let's go to John 6.63. The spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. So the spirit gives life. What does that mean? 2 Corinthians 3, 5-6. through six. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves. Plain as day. doesn't come from us. But our sufficiency is from God. Who also made us sufficient as ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills but the spirit gives life. The letter, the law of sin and death kills, but the spirit of life gives life. That's why it's called the spirit of life. It gives us eternal spiritual life with Christ, with our triune God, in relationship with our triune God. Galatians 6, 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now I found this verse very convicting. Do we sow in the flesh throughout our daily life? When our desires, when our temptations, when anything that we know is not right in the eyes of the Lord... When it comes forth, do we embrace it? Do we give in? And when we give in, are we not reaping corruption? It is corruption it is not it is not good it is not life it is not what God wants. so don't we all do that in some form of another? I mean I'm not not saying that any of us here have or we'll murder somebody, but in little ways, right? When we're driving and somebody cuts us off or somebody's driving. And that that's gets me a lot. They, they get in front of me and they kind of slow down. And it's like, why did you get in front of me for? The desire that comes out of me is a little bit of rage, right? Road rage. Do we give in when it comes up? Are we like, oh, I'm going to give in to this. And I'm going to go at them. Or do we say, treat them, love your neighbor as yourself. If I did that to somebody, I would want somebody to show me mercy. Which one are we doing? Are we, are we uh, sowing in our flesh or are we sowing in the spirit? So that's, that's a convicting verse. And it goes to show us that we are of the law of the spirit of life because we are set free in Christ Jesus We can turn from sin. That's what we need to keep in mind. Now, from verse 3, God has done it all. He has done everything for us. That's why we are in complete thanksgiving and gratitude to our Lord. What does verse 3 say? For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. There's a lot in this verse. And we're going to break it down kind of in three sections. But I would like to read this quote by J. Gresham Machen from his book Christianity and Liberalism and what you're seeing here here he's he's speaking about how the liberal modern liberal Christian movement is against the supernatural of the Bible that is the context of what he's talking about but it's very applicable to what we're gonna talk about here how God has done it all he states according to the Christian view as set forth in the Bible mankind is under the curse of God's holy law and the dreadful penalty includes the corruption of our whole nature. Actual transgressions proceed from the sinful root and serve to deepen every man's guilt in the sight of God. On the basis of that view, so profound, so true to the observed facts of life, it is obvious that nothing natural will meet our need. Nature transmits that dreadful taint in other words nature just helps us continue on hope is to be sought only in a creative act of God and that creative act of God so mysterious so contrary to all expectation yet so congruous with the character of the God who is revealed as the God of love is found in the redeeming work of Christ. No product of sinful humanity could have redeemed humanity from the dreadful guilt or lifted a sinful race from the slow of sin. But a Savior has come from God. There lies the very root of the Christian religion. There is the reason why the supernatural is the very ground and substance of the Christian faith. This is orthodoxy when it comes to our Christian faith. God has done it all. It is a supernatural act of God. It is not something that we thought of in our head and said, you know what, I'm going to follow Christ now without God doing anything. That is just a fruit, an evidence of the work that God has done. And the law that God uses to convict us which by our flesh weakens us, it cannot save us. So God sends His Son to fulfill the law for us and to die on the cross for them. As it states in that verse, it says, sending His own Son... Now, I want you to see if you have your ESV Bible handy or, or or not. And there's other translations that have the phrasing as an offering. In the ESV, if you look at the footnotes, it does say or as an offering. This is an illusion. Well, it's not really an illusion. Let me take that back. It is to remind us of what God had instituted In the Old Testament. That Jesus Christ fulfills. Now first when it comes to sending his own son. Let's go back to Genesis 22 verse 2. This will remind us of what Abraham did. Or was told to do. Then he said. Take now your son. Your only one. That's the same as saying your only begotten son. Whom you love. Isaac. And go forth to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So I want you to imagine that. God comes to you, if you have children, God comes to you and says, You must offer up one of your children as a sin offering. That's intense. I can imagine that Abraham, as that was spoken to him, he probably thought, "I, I, I couldn't have, I, I didn't have my own child that was going to be the one that was going to take over everything, right? I had this kid that he was from Damascus, and then I had this illegitimate son with Hagar. No, this is the son. This is the one that's supposed to take everything, they take over everything for me when I die. What do you mean I have to kill him? He's a gift." You gave me. He's my only son in that sense. That's why we say the only begotten son. God is not saying like, oh, they gave birth to Jesus. No, that's his son. That's the son that's to take over. That's his only one. The only one that is the heir. That's intense. Of course, we know the story. Abraham was about to do it. There are some that say, oh, no, it didn't really mean that he was going to kill him. He had the the knife up and he was about to go down and the angel stopped him. So he was going to kill him. It was a sin offering that was stopped. Because it was to remind us and to show them at that time of what was to be. What God was going to do for his people. And an offering for sin, which was later stated in Leviticus. Chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. It says, If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd. You see the burnt offering back from Genesis 22-2. You see those, that wording. He shall bring it near a male without blemish. That should already tell us. A male without blemish. We know what that means, right? He shall bring it near to the doorway of the tent of meeting. That he may be accepted before Yahweh. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering that it may be accepted for him to make atonement on his behalf. This was a ceremonial law that was instituted by God for really an appeasement temporarily of sin that was ultimately going to be fulfilled and could only be fulfilled by the unblemished God man that incarnated, that lived a perfect life, that's why he was, did not have any blemish, and was sacrificed as a sin offering or burnt offering for our sins. This is the picture that we're getting here. And then as it states later in in that verse, verse three, he condemned sin in the flesh. What do you mean he condemned sin? What does that mean? Did God, did Jesus put away sin by the death of Christ? Is there still sin? There is still sin. Well, what do you mean he condemned sin? What is condemnation again? It is a curse, it is a sentence. That it's going to be completely done with. 1 John 3.8 Let's have this in mind. We're going to read through these verses and then we're going to go back to what does this fully mean. The one who does sin is of the devil. Because the devil sins from the beginning. The son of God was manifested for this purpose. To destroy the works of the devil. So the works of the devil is sin. And Jesus Christ came to destroy those works. John 12 31. This is Jesus speaking at that time. So we're going to see. What might seem like a contradiction. And then we're going to talk about it. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Which he was cast out in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And John 16 11, And concerning judgment. Because the ruler of this world has been judged. Do we believe that Satan has been judged? Or do we believe that, uh, you know, that's still going to happen? It's kind of both, right? It's kind of both. So that's why we got to... The terms and the words are important. One last verse, and then we'll quickly go through it. Therefore, from Hebrews 2.14, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death, so through whose death? Through Jesus Christ's death, he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Okay, so what are we seeing here? From these verses, from he condemned sin in verse 3. Sin has been judged. It is condemned to be finally extinguished on the return of Jesus Christ when the general resurrection, as was spoken about in the Sunday school, when our bodies are glorified, sin will be no more for us in its complete sense. It was judged back then. It was condemned back then. But it will be finalized at the end of time. So that's why it says he condemned sin. I don't want you guys to get the impression that he condemned sin. So that means well, sin shouldn't be anymore. Oh, this is not real. This is, this is a contradiction. This is not right. No. As you see all the verses, when you interpret scripture by scripture, you see that the judgment and the condemnation of sin happen in Jesus' death. But the completion will be at the end of time. That's why, as it says, therefore, there is now no condemnation. We are not condemned anymore, but we are not finalized. We are not glorified yet. That is still something to come. That is still something to look forward to. I want to see it. I want to experience it. I want to be there. That is something we look forward to. Just like in our lives when, you know, we finish up school and we're looking forward to what we're going to do later in the life, what career we're going to have, what family we're going to have how excited we get or we hear great news of something that's going to come in one or two years and we're like wow oh you know what when you find out that your that your wife is pregnant your spouse is pregnant you're going to have a child that feeling of excitement a little a little scariness also i'm not going to say that when we go through this when the general resurrection happens i'm not going to say that i'm not going to have a little fear of what I'm going to see and experience with my eyes. But that's what we hope in. That's, going to, that's something to look forward to. Our Christian life is not only not over. It's eternal. We have so much to experience. So let's move forward. Is the law fulfilled in us? Most would would say no, no. What does verse four say? In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. I looked at a few different translations to see, does that say in us? In all of them? Look how the New Living Translation has it. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us. So I thought to myself, certain translations, this is not the only one, there was also, I think, the NIV and a few others that have for us. But all the other ones had in us the ESD, the NASB, the King James, and so forth. I thought to myself, it does seem like it's two different things what does I'm, I'm not understanding this right I looked at the Greek the Greek does not say for us the Greek says in us now this is just a quick side note this is why translation sometimes are important when it becomes literal translations because we want what the word says and then it is our job or the pastor's or deacon's job to tell us what it means so let's go to Luke 1 6 and then we'll circle back and they were both righteous in the sight of God walking blamelessly in all the commandments and righteous requirements of the Lord when you read that surface level, I mean, we're Reformed, right? Reformed Baptists. We are totally depraved, right? We believe that we cannot please God. And even when we're saved and we're regenerate, we can only please God through the works of the Holy Spirit, right? When we live by the Spirit of life. We could never actually be blameless. We could never actually be righteous in and out of Jesus Christ, right? Right? So we read this and we say, hmm, something's not adding up. Ephesians 1 through 4. I'm, I'm sorry, 1, ch- chapter 1, verse 4. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the, of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him in love. Okay. Now we're seeing two that we might on the surface level go... That doesn't add up. Yeah. Philippians two fourteen through 15. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. As great of, of verses that those are that should be encouraging to us. In the context of what we're talking about, of the law being fulfilled in us, it's kind of like, whoa, can we be without blemish? Can we be blameless and innocent? And the last verse before we circle back, Colossians 1, 21 through 22 And although you were formerly alienated and enemies in mind and in evil deeds, but now he reconciled you in the body of his flesh through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. How? How could that be? I've probably sinned a few times today, maybe even more that I don't even know. How could I be blameless? This is the answer. Verse 4. This is why translations, the literal, literal literalness I don't even know if that's the right word. But the literal aspect of that wording in us. It's twofold. It's showing that the righteous requirement of the law, which actually was fulfilled by Christ, And we have many verses, and we've spoken about that in chapter 6 and 7. Was fulfilled for us. But now that we walk according to the spirit of life, we are fulfilling it also. But it can't be done in and of ourselves. It is God and the Holy Spirit that is doing this in us. How How can you be blameless? How can you be holy? How can you be beyond reproach without blemish? When God the Father looks at you, is he looking at you, at your sins, or is he looking at Jesus Christ, the righteousness of Christ? He's looking at Jesus. When you live by the spirit of the life, when you you live for obedience and love to Christ, When you live that way, are you unrepentant? No, you're not. You have repented of your sins. And when you sin, you ask for forgiveness and you repent. Those that are unregenerate are unrepentant. They do not care that they sin. They might not even realize that they're sinning for certain things. So we are without blame. We are righteous. Righteous. We are holy because we are repentant. And why are we repentant? Because the Holy Spirit is in us. And why is the Holy Spirit in us? Because Jesus paid it all. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. Not for you, not for your works, for Christ's works. That are now the fruit is coming out. Now we know that you're a tree of life, you're not a tree of death because your fruit metaphorically speaking is a fruit of life if you want to act like it's an apple right? it's a fruit of life that is glorious but this is what is required when you read these things you can't just look at it and say oh it's fulfilled in us oh we can, we can actually do the requirements of the law without Jesus where are you getting that from? There's people that believe that. There's people that believe that you have to work for your salvation. But you're presupposing that if you can work for your salvation, you're going to fulfill the requirements of the law. can't be done. It can't be done. We have multiple evidence in the, in the Bible, in the scriptures, in the inspired word of God. Finishing off... The last section of verse 4. Because we will walk according to the Spirit. This section right here. It says, Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Self-examination question. I don't want answers. Don't yell it out. (laughs) Do you walk according to the flesh or according to the Spirit? Do you sow in the flesh or do you sow in the spirit? Is your fruit of the flesh the tree of death? Or is your fruit of the spirit tree of life? Now as you self-examine and you think about that. We will read Galatians chapter 5. This is a lengthy section. But it is an important section. Galatians chapter 5 verses 16 through 25. But I say walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you do not do the things that you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, and don't think this is exhaustive, so there's more, which are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I'll speak a little bit about practice after I read this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law now those who belong to christ jesus crucified the flesh with its passions and desires if we live by the spirit let us also walk in step with the spirit so i don't know about you guys but i read this and i ultimately am convicted wow i'm sure i have Anger? I'm sure I'm jealous of co workers and who knows what else, right? I have selfish ambition. Jeez. Dissensions. I used to be a drunk, big time drunk. Sexual immorality? I mean probably all of these we've done. Do I practice these? Or did I practice these? you got to ask yourself, self-examination again, are these things a normal practice? Practice means you're doing them all the time. When you're practicing for a test, sports-related, when you're practicing, you're practicing for a purpose. As they say, practice makes perfect. In this case, practice makes horrendously corrupted, depraved, an enemy of God. Do we practice these things? Or do we turn from sin and do we live by the spirit of life to have the fruits of the spirit? And no, not everybody has all these all at once. <laughs> and it's going to be a work. As chapter seven says, it's our entire life. As Pastor Gerardo continually told us over and over and over again, it's a, it's a war zone. But we are to have the fruit of the spirit. We are to love. We are to have joy. We are to have peace. We are to have patience. We are to be kind. We are to be good, faithful, gentle, and have self-control. Self-control. I struggle with that one. Lots. And then we need to be reminded. Jesus on earth did he need to gain salvation no he was perfect yet he obeyed yet he had the fruit of the spirit he pleased God and if he's the first fruits if he's who we are being conformed to we are to do the requirement of the law in obedience to God, to please God like Jesus did, because we know we don't have to do it for salvation. God did that for us. But what do we do now? We are to please our God. We are to obey. We are to have fear. We are to love our God. Because we've been released from the guilt of sin, we have been adopted as His sons. You realize that. Jesus Christ is the only begotten son of God. So he's the only son. Well, how are we adopted? We are adopted by his works. So now we are heirs according to how Jesus is an heir. We will be reigning with Jesus. And there's a verse even says that we're reigning right now with Jesus. Because is he king now? or is he gonna be king in the future? He's king now, and he will forever be king. And when he comes back and he gives over the kingdom to the Father, we all rule together. So what is our application for daily practice? Jesus paid it all, so run the race, that is already won. Isn't it great to know that you are playing a game, running a race, you're in a competition where you already won? You already won. And it was won for you. And all that the one who won it for you is requiring of you is, run the race, finish it, complete it, do it. It's already won. It's already been done for you. Just continue on. Don't go back. Like Pastor Gerard said, we're all in that lane going forward, some faster than others. When you see somebody going in reverse, nudge them, you know, like in in, uh, bumper cars, nudge them to go the other way. This way, not that way. Or for you guys, this way, not that way, right? <laughs> Move forward. Run the race that's already won. We don't have to worry about losing. It's been won for us. And when we fall, get back up. That should give you peace. That should give you joy. Oh my gosh, I'm in this, I'm in this race that if I lose, I'm going to be punished for my sin for eternity. Wait, I won already? Oh man, keep going. I'm going to go to the end, to the finish line because I want to see my my Savior. That's how we live. That's joy. That's peace. We are therefore now not condemned. Therefore, not condemned. Second point, second application. Mortify your sin. Because you love God. You've won the race that was won for you. Jesus did it all. He loves you. Literally the only unchanging being in this entire universe, that is even outside the universe, knows you by name, loves you, and did all that for you. Kill your sin destroy it get rid of it when it it's presented to you turn away love God please God you can do it why can't you do it because the spirit is in you live for God don't be depressed about your your sins in the sense that when you sin you're like oh it's over I lost it no hate your sin be sad about it be have godly sorrow but that godly sorrow turns into exactly repentance repent of your sin move forward all of us all of us third point of application rejoice in Christ enjoy his blessings it's been one you have the spirit To live and walk according to the righteous requirements of the law. Rejoice in Christ. Enjoy what He's given you. As I read not too long ago from Ecclesiastes, enjoy what you've worked for. Enjoy the good food, the good drinks. Enjoy it because that's a gift that God has given us. I enjoy air conditioning and if I were to lose air conditioning I would be sad and it's not the end of the world but I enjoy it enjoy the seats that you're sitting in or we could be sitting all on the floor these are luxuries we don't need them and God has said enjoy them enjoy technology don't abuse it enjoy that you can drive 30 miles in 30 minutes or less enjoy that these are blessings that God has given us. And in a common grace, he actually gave it to all. But a lot of these right unregenerate people, do they glorify and thank God for these blessings and luxuries that God has given us? And at the same time, when you enjoy these blessings, remember and pray for those that do not. Those that have little, those that are persecuted in other countries for the name of Jesus Christ. Let's pray for them. Let's help them out if we can. We are a ministry of love, but of righteous love, not of incorrect love. And I want to finish it off with a prayer from the, uh, from the Valley of Vision. From, it's a prayer. Uh, the title is Victory, but this is an excerpt of it. Listen to these words, and then we will finish off with prayer to the Lord. O Divine Redeemer, great was Thy goodness in undertaking my redemption, in consenting to be made sin for me, in conquering all my foes. Great was Thy strength in enduring the extremities of divine wrath, in taking away the load of my iniquities great was thy love in manifesting thyself alive in showing thy sacred wounds that every fear might vanish and every doubt be removed great was thy mercy in ascending to heaven in being crowned and enthroned there to intercede for me there to bring aid to me in temptation there to open the eternal book there to receive me finally to thyself bathe my soul in rich consolations of thy resurrection life great was thy grace in commanding me to come hand in hand with thee to the father to be knit to him eternally to discover in him my rest to find in him my peace to behold his glory to honor him who is alone worthy let's pray it's absolutely amazing lord that us humans that are so small, such a speck in this universe, that you would love us, that you would send your son, a holy son who has never sinned, who has never experienced your wrath, only your love. You sent him here to experience that wrath for us that we deserve. How amazing is your grace and your mercy towards us. We cannot even contemplate it. Why? Why would you do that for us? But as your scripture says, you are a God of love. It is a love love that is incomprehensible. It is unconditional to your children. But we thank you, Lord, because you have done it all. May you be glorified. May you be praised. May you be obeyed. May you be loved. May everything that we do be for you because you deserve all honor, grace, worship, and love. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for our spiritual family as we come together to worship you. And all these things we pray in that beautiful name that we will sing and shout for eternity. That name of Jesus Christ. Amen.